Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. I'm going to start with a series of questions I want you to kind of ask yourself as we move forward through this particular passage in 1 John chapter 4. And it begins with questions like these. Do you have confidence before God? Do you have confidence before God? Do you have, in other words, do you have faith before God? Do you trust Him? Do you get anxious at the thought of standing before the Lord of glory on the day of judgment? Does that thought give you anxiety? Do you worry about that? Do you look at your Father in heaven first through the lens of His wrath? Or his mercy toward you? In other words, do you long for the day that you will see Christ face to face? Or do you dread it? I want you to have those questions lingering in your head as we move through this. Now, I haven't been a parent for very long. I haven't been a parent for very long. But I remember making a resolution early on to myself that I would always attempt to correct my children in a particular way. I was given a rather broad advice when I had my first child. And that that advice was, was simple. To correct your children the way that God corrects His. Now you're probably thinking the same thing that, that I'm thinking right now. It's a little broad. Okay? How, how, how does God correct us? It kind of begs the question, right? And he didn't answer that question for me. Instead, he wanted me to go to the, to the Scriptures, to search it out for myself. So I did, and what I found was an interesting pattern. An interesting pattern. I'm not sure this is what he was wanting me to understand, but I found that Israel, when, when Israel sinned against the Lord, against his Father, and needed correction, God first sent prophets. He sent prophets to call Israel back to himself. He sent his voice, right? He called them back to himself. He first sent prophets to seek him to to voluntarily come back, right? To receive his corrections and his judgment. And when Israel did not voluntarily come back to seek that correction, to seek the Lord and to receive his judgments, then he went to them. He went to them with his judgments. He sought after them himself. And we can see this in the ministry of Christ in the most explicit way. Israel had been rebellious. They had even killed the prophets of God. Every voice that came from God, they put to nothing. They killed it. The voices beckoning them to come back to Him voluntarily and repent, they put to death. They didn't listen. And they would not go to their Father in humble submission and repentance to His commands. So God, what did He do? He came in the flesh. He came to them. He came to them to deal His judgments where they were. To seek them out. And His parents were were to do the same thing. My children are young, so I call them to myself. I try to train them with this. I call them to myself to receive correction. I make them come to me. I make them walk to me. And when they get to me, I make them hear their correction and their judgment. Even though it may sting them, even though it may hurt them, I want them to desire it. I want them to come to me. Because that is what our Lord desires. 
I make them walk to me to receive their judgment. And what does this do? It does a couple of things, but one thing that it does is it fosters their trust in the judgments of God. It fosters their trust in the judgments of their Father. Right? And if I'm doing my job correctly, I will be judging according to God's law. And even when it hurts, they learn that they need that correction. That they, they are to train themselves to come to the voice of their Father. Because their Father loves them, even when they sin. So in other words, parents are to develop confidence in their children. They should, they should not shirk at your voice. They should not run away from you. They should desire to come to you, even when it hurts. They are to be confident in their standing as a son or a daughter. They are to be confident even in times that they sin. That if they come to their father, they will be forgiven and they will be restored. And this is exactly the confidence that we are to have before our Heavenly Father. Why? Because God is love. And He has shown us that He loves us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has shown us that He offers forgiveness for all those who confess His name in faith and humbly submit to His judgments. So John's point here is that those who abide in this love, who abide in God, that there is nothing to fear for those who abide in Him. That there is nothing to fear. If they abide in His love, then they will receive His love. God's love for us and our love for the brethren bolsters our confidence before God and grants us assurance of salvation on the day of judgment. We can stand before God on the day of judgment assured that we are forgiven because of who God is and what He has promised us. We can long for that day knowing that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. What is best for us is Him and His judgments because He is merciful, He is slow to anger, and He is bounding in steadfast love for those who trust in Him. So we are to go to Him as a child goes to their father. Now in verse 14, John says that we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. John had just said that God is the definition of love in the previous verses. And this love was manifested toward us in this son. And now he tells us that the church has seen and testifies that the Father has sent the Son as not just a propitiation for our sins, though He is that, but not just a propitiation for our sins, but also the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. He came for the purpose of mercy for those who trust in Him. His purpose was to save the world. And John is famous for this type of language, this cosmic language. If you'll remember, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? He loves the world that He gave His Son. But Paul uses this language as well to describe Jesus' mission. Paul says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of, of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So what does the world mean? What does he mean by the world? Well, to to answer simply, he means the world. (laughs) He means the world, the created world. Not everyone will be saved, 
This is true even in the immediate context of this passage. John is talking about antichrists who have come and deny, who deny Christ. Those people will not inherit life. Life is only found in the Son, Jesus Christ. Right? They will not be redeemed. But the world is a general word for all those who would come to Christ. And even more than that, the created order around us. There must be an enemy for a people to be saved from. If the Lord is Savior of the world, that means that there are some who will not be saved. That enemy is sin, Satan, and those who follow him, and death. But the world here is also the created world around us, the created order around us. That world will be saved along with the sons and daughters of God. The creation itself will be delivered from corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Romans chapter 8. Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. And this Jesus is the only name by which that world will be saved. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and this is not just in word but also in deed and worship and action, then God abides in us and we in Him. And John doesn't, doesn't stoke doubt into the hearts of believers or his readers with this particular phrase. Instead, he says, and we have known and believe the love that God has for us. So he's saying that you are those people who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not saying doubt your salvation. If you don't confess that Jesus is God in, in your heart, then, then you're not going to heaven, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying you are those people who confess that Jesus is the Christ. He is bearing witness to the belief of God's people. They believe the love that God has for them. They believe on Jesus. And because they believe the love that God has shown to them in Jesus, they abide in the love of God and God in Him. He's assuring them of their standing before God. He's assuring them of their standing before God. And he goes even further than, the, than these simple statements about confession. He says that, that, that this love has been perfected among them. Among them. This love has been perfected among them, the church. The love of God has come to maturity in the presence of these believers. Now, of course, the mature man, our Lord Jesus Christ, is that love perfected. He is that love perfected. He is the one who has shown us what maturity what godly love looks like and sounds like and acts like. He is that embodied. And he has come, he has perfected that love so that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. So that we may have assurance. Boldness literally means here confidence. A kind of firm faith or trust. Right? Jesus came and brought the love of God to maturity in himself before our eyes so that we would have confidence before him on the day of judgment. Now remember that John is speaking to a people who will experience a day of judgment very soon. He is reminding them that the, the love of God given to them proves that they can be bold and confident even in that day. That small judgment that they will experience when they face persecution, when they face death, when they face the judgment that's coming to Jerusalem. And for us, as well as the first century church, 
in, in John's time, we long for a true day of judgment when our Lord Jesus will judge the whole world. So if we want to look at it from our perspective, the day of judgment that John's speaking of is not just a day that may happen tomorrow, but a day at the end of history when our Lord judges uh, the wheat in the, in the chaff. And even and especially in that day, in that final day, we can approach his throne with boldness, with confidence. Why is this? Why can we approach the, the throne of God with boldness and confidence on the day of judgment? Because we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. He has, been, he has become the propitiation for our sins. The love of God perfected among us has washed us clean. He has shown us love in that He gave Himself for us so that we might stand in the day of judgment boldly and live in the sight of God. And that is only possible because our Father looks on us through His Son. Through His Son who exhibits that perfect love of God, that mature love of God. And those who are in the Son are images of the Father in the world. As He is, so are we in the world. Now, we've all heard of the image of God before. The Imago Dei, if you want to speak Latin, right? We've all heard that, that phrase before. Image of God. Everyone is created in the image of God. This is true. We know that man is, is made in that image. But what we often fail to put together, sometimes, is that this image is marred by sin and death. This image is marred by sin and death. And the restoration of that image, of the image of the invisible God, is Jesus Christ. He is the restoration of that marred image. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of His person. And when we are united to Christ, the image of God is seen more clearly. Right? Because we have the Spirit of Christ in us, because we are being sanctified by that Spirit, our lives exhibit the image of God more clearly than it did when it was marred by sin and death. We are seen more clearly. We are slowly but surely molded into the image of Christ, which means into the image of God. The image of God is restored in those who are united to the perfect image. And what belongs to God more than His image? This is all going back to confidence. This is all going back to boldness on the final day, right? What, what belongs to God more than His own image? Remember Jesus' instruction on taxes. A lot of times we can overlook this particular passage and, and only think it's about, it's about taxes. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, right? Pay your taxes, Jesus says. That's true. That's, that's, that's what he's telling his people to do. Pay your taxes. But Jesus' point here is also a little bit beyond this. There's a deeper point behind all of this. Jesus points to the image on the coin. If you'll notice that, that particular encounter. He points to the image on the coin and says that this belongs to man. This image on this coin belongs to man. But he leaves this open and he wants us to interpret it this way. The image of God, the person, belongs to God. Render to God what is God's. Man is the image of God. 
and the image of God belongs to God. Now how much more do those who are united to the true image? Being made into the image of Christ is an, is, is an assurance that we belong to God and he will never forsake us. So for the Christian, being molded into the image of Christ means more than just that we'll look and sound and act more like Jesus. That's true. But what does that mean? It means that the image of God is restored in man. And that image belongs to God himself. And there is assurance in this. There's a confidence in this. There's faith in this. And this is why John says that there is no fear in love. If we are in the love of God, what is there to fear? Mature love, perfect love, casts out fear. And the fear that John is referring to is not the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. It's not the fear of the Lord that, it, that, that means trust and confidence. He's talking about a different fear. And he, and he highlights it. He's talking about the fear of torment. It's not the fear that Moses felt on Mount Sinai. It's not the fear that Abraham felt in the presence of angels. It's not that type of fear. The fear that John is talking about is the fear of eternal torment. It's the fear of being cast out into outer darkness. It's the fear of being cast out of the presence of God. The fear that the Lord would cast you out of His presence. The fear that God would not love you on the day of judgment. But mature love, perfect love, casts out this kind of fear. If you know the love of God, shown to us in Christ, you know that He is merciful, you know that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, that you can approach Him to even confess your sins, and His response is what? Is forgiveness and grace. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Christians should be eager to go into the presence of God even when they are in sin. They should be eager to go into the presence of God. And mature believers will be because mature love casts out fear. And we can be confident that our Lord is like this because He loved us first. He loved us first. The only reason we love God is because He first loved us. A father who calls his children, going back to that, that view, or that, that uh, image, a father who calls his children to himself for correction and discipline in love will soon experience the maturation of his children's love for him. A father who calls his children to himself to correct them, and he does so in love, and they feel that love and experience that love and that forgiveness, then that, that maturity, that mature love will, will foster, will be, will be growing in their children. They trust his judgments. They come to him when he calls. And they know that they have confidence that he will never leave them nor forsake them. That he, is, he has their best interest at heart. He, is, he wants what's best for them. Because he loved them first. And because God has loved us first, we are to love one another. We are to love the image of God. And this is a sign of our love for God. If your children do not love one another, are they truly loving you? If they don't love their brother or sister, are they, are they loving you? Are they respecting your commands? Do they, do they have confidence in what you have taught them? No. 
And the, and the truth is because they, they have neglected the law that you have established in your home. And the children who are confirming or conforming to your image are being treated as lesser. When they hate one another, they are hating you. And when we hate the brethren, we become liars. We hate God when we hate the brethren. We confess with our mouths that Jesus is the Son of God, and yet do not love the image of Jesus. The image of God is right in front of us. We can see this image right in front of us, and we lie when we say we love God and yet hate this image. And in that hatred, we do not show the image of God in our own lives. But John is not saying that the church is necessarily hating one another. He is saying that there are some who confess with their mouth, but do not confess with their actions. Remember the context here. Remember the context. He's talking about false brethren who have been coming into the church, false prophets preaching a different gospel, the antichrists who are coming to those churches. So again, John assures them in his exhortation to love the brethren. He assures them. He gives them confidence. Right? If you can see that someone is not loving the brethren like you are, then there's something up. Right? They don't love God like they claim they love God. This is because we have a commandment from God. If you love God, you must love your brethren also. You must love your brother and sister. And the church, according to John, knows and believes the love that God has for them. So they must walk in that love with one another. And when they do, they will have confidence before God on the day of judgment. Our faith, just like our obedience is a fruit of perfected love, of love made complete. Our confidence is founded upon this love. Now, we're not yet like Christ in the fullest sense. That image hasn't been perfected yet, right? It will be perfected on the last day. We have not not come to the fullness of being like Christ. But we are as He is in the world right now in a real and tangible way. And that way is if we love one another. We may not always act like Christ, but as far as our standing before God, we are like Jesus even now. And we exhibit this image of Christ in the world when we abide in the love of God and when we love one another. So Christian... Our trust, our faith, our confidence is a gift of God given to us in the perfect love of the person of Jesus Christ. It is a gift. We, like the churches John is speaking to, have known and believed the love that God has for us. And since we know and believe the love of God, that is God himself, he is love, we can approach God in confidence, in faith. We can approach Him even even here this morning when we get on our knees and confess our sins. We are are kneeling before the throne of God in the heavenly places. And what does He say to us? Rise, your sins are forgiven. We can have confidence even now. We can approach Him in worship and prayer without fear. We can approach Him on that final day with no fear, shame, or guilt to be found. The love of God has been perfected among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are united to Him. 
So little children, do not be afraid of your father the way that you would fear torment or pain. He is merciful. He is kind. He is abounding in steadfast love to those who fear him with a godly fear. A trust that rejects the world for the fatherly embrace and judgment of God. We do not need to be afraid of his judgments because he is love and he has given us and poured out that love into our hearts through his son Jesus Christ and by his spirit. When we have this kind of faith, when we have this kind of trust, we will love one another as God has loved us. We will become as he is. So remember the love of your father in heaven displayed in Jesus. Remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Do not delay turning back to God. He sees the image of his son in you. So little children, there is no fear in this love. Look to Christ and look with hope to that final day. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.